The Numinous Podcast with Carmen Spaniola. Hi there, and welcome to the Numinous Podcast, where we have interesting conversation with everyday folks about the mystery of life. This season is brought to you by The Threshold Community, a new collaboration between me and my dear friend, Holly Trular. We're gathering online with like-minded, collapse-aware people to tend the threshold of the twilight times of the world as we've known it. Together, we're exploring collapse preparedness, attachment, trauma, animism, grief, justice, creativity, and play. Read all about it at thethresholdcommunity.com and find us on Instagram at Tending the Threshold. I'm your host, Carmen Spaniola, and today on the podcast, I'm connecting with Mimi Young. Mimi is the founder of Ceremony, an esoteric brand I discovered on Instagram, and the handle is at Shop Ceremony, and that's spelled S-H-O-P-C-E-R-E-M-O-N-I-E. It focuses on in-person and online core shamanic and occult education, and also plant potions for skin and aura. Mimi works with a blend of modalities, including core shamanism and plant spirit healing, chow magic, and Chinese esoterics. She does dream work and divination and guides clients to greater ancestral connection and psychic development. Mimi has a somewhat alinear background in design, education, and clean tech, and also, I notice, has a well-developed analysis of the intersections of culture, spirituality, entrepreneurship, and all the both subtle and overt forms of oppression that are also present in those spaces. Here's my conversation with Mimi, where I find out more about her approach to intuitive development and her special relationship with tea as a spiritual ally and teacher. So Mimi, what identities do you lead with? Um, I would say that my identities can range. Um, so if we were to kind of talk about it generically, it could be through my lived experiences as a Taiwanese Canadian woman, could be as mother, as sister, as daughter. It could even be archetypal. I really love to lean into the energies of crone. I'm not close to being a crone yet, but, but I love, love, love her energy. And she's very much a teacher and protect, protectress for me. Um, Recently, I've been leaning a lot into Empress and just uh, really looking to more of the energies around being embodied within nature and letting body be nature as well. Um, but I think sort of from a day to day, if you were to ask me, like, what's on my business card, it would be shamanic intuitive. So. So that would be, in many ways, an identity I lead with. But it can really vary from, uh, you know, just like the needs of the day and what presents. Hmm. Hmm. You lead with some really nice, archetypally um, well-established womanly uh, energies, like the crone and and the empress. And you said, "Oh, I'm not even close to there yet." Would you mind saying, like, what what your age? ballpark is like yeah yeah yeah. how do you know that you're not a crone yet (laughs) I've been gunning for it for a long time too I'm like oh my god I cannot wait to be 50 and then like then can I be a crone like where where are you (laughs) I'm 41 um I'm still menstruating um I'm yeah pretty punctual you know and my my menses is, is fairly punctual and I'm not exhibiting any of those physiological changes that indicate I'm entering into a transformation. I think what I personally love about Crone is how she is, she exists for herself. She's very much in some ways like the archetypal virgin, right? Like she exists for herself too. But Crone, um, there's less of that tolerance for the superfluous and the unnecessary. And I, I really love that. I find that very inspiring. Um, there's a sovereignty through age. Um, and then there's also a sovereignty because she has now, she's looking into this next phase, right? This phase where she is heading back into the earth, where she has keys to, uh, to death, but then also through death, she 
she has, she can, you know, in her hand, she has keys to life. So um, just the nature of my work, I do, I like the theme of death and rebirth and shadow. Like these are like big themes um, that show up in my work. Um, and I think that's probably why I find Chrome just so mesmerizing. Mm, oh, good word. Exactly. Yeah, I really resonate with that. So going back then to when you were younger, when did you first recognize yourself as intuitive? And, and then when did you publicly acknowledge that? And I'm curious if you've become more out as you become older or more sovereign or resonant with the empress or crone archetype. Right. Um, well, I would say that I've always been like as as long as I can remember as a very young child, um, like pre-literate child. Right. So this is like kind of. Yeah, like toddler preschool years. Um, I was already an animist. I was all, already speaking with plants and already hearing them and had names for them. Um, but you're you're not really aware at that age that that is uh, atypical or, or, or that it's, it's not how, you know, the grownups do it. It was just like, that's just how I, I was me. And, um, and I felt it was a very natural aspect of me. Um, but of course, you know, when you, uh, as an immigrant, you, you do everything you can to fit into the mold. And I think in some ways, you know, there's a lot of sort of the, the racial things where I felt like, yeah, I've, I've got to be as, as in many ways, as normal as possible, right? Mm -hmm. I need to fit in. I can't stand out because I already do. Um, and I think that's when things started, when I became more conscious of how different visibly I was. I mean, remember, I grew up, you know, here in Vancouver in the 80s. So it's, it's like it was, well, I was very visible then mm -hmm. um, as a minority. Uh, I think that really pushed a lot of the uh, psychic and intuitive or like paranormal, whatever you want to call it, all those gifts sort of down. And as a teenager, I became aware that I have um, what's called clarofaction. It's otherwise known as, you know, um, having sort of psychic smelling or like an, uh, a sense of aromatic intuition, being able to smell things that are not physically there and those smells actually meaning something um and yeah it, it was definitely wasn't until I was well well into my adulthood before I a was no longer running away from all that and finding ways to sort of shut it down or downplay it or rationalize it or sort of chalk it up to coincidence and those kinds of things I really started to embrace it um, but yeah, it, it definitely takes some time because it, you're unpacking many things at the same time, or at least mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. Was there a moment um, that you can remember where you kind of stopped that pushing away or the running away and you turned to face it and like reclaim your intuition and perhaps it, as part of that reclaim disowned or um, silenced parts of your heritage? Right. Um, I would say there is this period of time between uh, the birth of my first child and the birth of my second, and they, you know, they have a seven-year gap. And in between that time, we were trying to have another child, so that you know, hopefully, the gap wouldn't be uh, what turned out to be seven years. And I remember I was just feeling really, I guess, just. Uh, exhausted and disillusioned and and just frankly like lost and i remember thinking like i have done everything i was supposed to do i followed every rule i had excelled in every way and so on paper i had the kind of life that i was told if i had that life would be supremely fulfilled mm -hmm. and um and happy <laughs> and and i wasn't mm -hmm. and so i think through just the um yeah it was through that disillusionment and really like the anger and feeling cheated like i was like you know i i did all these things i was the good girl and, and i i you know complied and i did everything i thought um so that i would feel safe and so that i would feel happy and it didn't bring either mm -hmm. and um and that's when 
you know, it was really made apparent to me that the rules I was following were the wrong rules. Um, they weren't made for me. They were made for those who benefited from me from obeying these rules. And, and that was when I started to really question a lot, including my relationship with the unseen, with like, you know, the, the, the spirit world. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. That's like very, um, like heart opening even to just hear you say like, oh, that benefited someone else. And like, that sounds like a really transformative and important moment for sure. So what flourished from there? And I, I'd love for you to tell us more about Clairol Faction and, and um, like, and how do we know the difference between um, aromatic intuition and just like having a vivid aromatic memory or, mm. or, you know, like, um, aromatic association, or are they the same things? Like, so when you turn towards this, the more, you know, or the, the, the other that you had silenced for so long, how did that show up in this particular form of intuition? Yeah, I would say that form of intuition was the one that was most tenacious in my life. It was sort of like the, the one thing, like I would dream things and it would happen, but they didn't happen nearly as frequently. And so it was just easier to dismiss. Um, with psychic smelling, it was just like, I couldn't really avoid it. And it was something that was completely beyond my control. And to answer your question, what is the difference between, let's say, um, experiencing a scent and that conjuring up, let's say, a memory or an association. Um, how is that different than, um, you know, something like clarofaction? And I would say that when you get the scent and it sort of winds up relaying a memory or an association, um, let's say, for instance, you smell someone, you smell on someone a perfume that maybe like you're, you're your aunt um, who has since passed away, uh, she wore the same perfume. Um, I would say that that's pretty much related to the physiological world and it's not necessarily psychic and sort of the, the loop closes, right? You're like, oh, you wore a perfume that my aunt wore. So that loop has closed. Uh, it, you know, in a context of psychic smelling is you typically will ex experience scent that is not physically there at all right? You may wind up smelling cigarettes and there's no cigarettes in sight. Um, or you may smell perhaps a cologne, no person in sight. Um, or you can even smell other things. And we can kind of get into it in a moment if you want. But I just wanted to answer that question really like as clearly as possible first. And then, so that loop opens and you're like, for me, it's like, oh, well, I smell this. What does it mean? Okay, well now, because I've, I've been experiencing this for so long, I can sort of retrieve it against an inventory of information of data, basically. I'd be like, well, this smell reminds me in so-and-so. Well, what could that be? And then you sort of lean in and then sometimes additional insight will come, maybe a vision or maybe a feeling, and then you act on it. Then the loop closes. So for instance, the other day, I was working at my computer responding to emails and my older son, he's 12. So he goes out on his bike with his friends and they sort of socially distant hang out in this, their little, you know, uh, bike pack, right? This cute <laughs> little uh, pack of kids. Like, like you know, ET, all the little Yeah, two or three kids. Or <laughs> kind of exactly, very ET style. Um, yeah, with their hoodies and their little like kangaroo pockets. So it's, it's very much that way. Um, no walkie-talkies, they have phones now, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but anyway, um, so he'll be out, he was out and I smelt uh, bicycle grease. I smell the grease that you would put on the chains. And then all of a sudden a feeling, a feeling of this is not good. So right away I texted him and I said, hey, I just had this weird feeling, please be extra careful on your bike. And sure enough, later on that day, there was uh, a driver who was just being a little bit reckless and thank goodness my son had his sort of antenna up and 
you know, nothing happened, but it was totally possible that something could have happened. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I mean by psychic smell. It's like, I'm doing my normal activity and I just sort of get blindsided by a scent. And usually that scent is carrying a message. And oftentimes it's a, a message of, 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 you know, of warning to, mm -hmm. to protect uh, someone I love or someone, you know, something that's very important to, you know, that needs protection. Um, and then I close the loop by acting on it. Mm. Um, and that's really, I mean, that's taken years for me to figure out. There's a lot of mistakes, a lot of trial and error, and I still make mistakes. Sometimes I may, you know, come to the wrong conclusion, but regardless, when that psychic smell kind of hits, um, I do know I absolutely must stop and pay, pay attention. Wow. And so I imagine, though, this is like an extra layer of complexity when you have clients because you do this professionally and, you, you know, I know you create scents for people and blends and things like that, mixtures. Um, but what if you have a client and you're doing a reading or you're doing a journey for them and suddenly you get a, a scent and it's like, it seems random, right? Like, like in that example, for instance, you, you know, your son and you knew that he was going out to ride his bike. And so bicycle grease really makes sense. And you know, the context, if you didn't know this person and suddenly you were smelling the ocean or, you know, pine trees or something like that, do you work live with people so that you can ask them or like, or, or do you measure it against your kind of data and go, oh, if I'm smelling the ocean, it's something, you know, that um, it means something for you, almost like there's a cipher or a code, a coded language. Right. Um, typically, from my experience, um, like every, every intuitive is different. So how I work is when I get that message right I, whether if it is visually um or through scent um it is a code for me to understand um and then relay it so for you you talked about pines so if i get a hit of pine i know immediately that that client has self-worth issues because that's what pine really relates to self-worth um and you know and and most likely it won't be sort of this one-off smell in the void, no context. Mm. If I'm working with the client, I already had spirit traveled for that client. I'd already gone to the spirit world, uh, made a request or asked a question on behalf of that particular client, come back. We're, and I'm sharing all this with that particular client and maybe there'll be additional questions that come up and I can sort of lean into that experience and sort of do my best to interpret. And let's say at that point, pine shows up, I'll have a whiff and I'll be like, oh, okay, this is for this client, not for me, let's say, because that's what, that would be my lesson or my assignment is figure out who is that sent really for. Like, oh, okay, it's for me, or is it for so and so? If it's for that client, then I'll just naturally bring it in, and it most likely will be totally um, in alignment with the greater context of the spirit journey that it just returned from. Mm -hmm. And so, just uh, just for our listeners' sake, because you know, as a person who does readings as well, I think I'm I'm tracking you with like sometimes a symbol will come in and I know this is what it means because this is what it means for me every time. But let's say if our listeners are doing something and suddenly they smell pine, would you say that, um, okay, that's a self-worth issue for them as well, or they have to determine what pine means for them? Like, is right. there something fairly, um, is there a through thread or something fairly universal about pine that I've just never thought about? <laughs> Right. Yeah, no, that's such a good question. Um, I would say absolutely. Uh, everyone should tune into their own body and their own intuitive senses and ask themselves, does this make sense for me? Absolutely. And I, I think, you know, with everything pine or the ocean or anything else, uh, there are two aspects to it. There is a very personalized, nuanced message for the individual. But then there's also the message for the collective, that for the universal. And so for Pine, the, the message for the universal and the collective would be uh, self-worth. But for the individual, it may be something else too. Hmm. Um, but they won't be, it, it won't be conflicting. Right. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, I understand. They, what you mean. Yeah, they typically would work well together. Mm -hmm. And so, what is this? Um, how does this lay a groundwork, or how does it relate to your magical work with tea? Mm, yeah. So tea. Okay. So I relate with tea. I love your question about tea. Um, so yeah. So tea. I mean, I relate with tea, and she really is a being. So I'll refer to her as as a person. Um, so tea. Um, like my, my relationship with her is is it really does contain multiple layers. There is the layer that she is um, deeply. Uh, related to my lineage, right? So like, tea came out of China and um, in my lineage, even though I said earlier that I'm Taiwanese, but if you kind of trace back a little further, it kind of goes um, through like from China. So I'm like Han Chinese Taiwanese to be very, very specific. Um, now tea um, in the context of her whole life as being this, this, this form of medicine um, is very much tied to ancient Chinese esoterics. So there's that piece too. So um, there's the piece of sort of the, the lineage aspect of tea. There's the role of tea and esoterics. And then of course, there's also um, ancestral. That's a little bit different than lineage, right? Because lineage is really referring to uh, a much bigger picture, but ancestral, I don't have to go back many, um, generations. I well, actually technically only need to go back one to be able to experience tea ancestrally and then, you know, of course, further and further up uh, my family lines. Because, I mean, just through my, like, being me um, in my family, I mean, tea has always taken a very, uh, it's, it's interesting, a very prominent role, but one also in the background. Like, you don't ever, uh, dine with a family member over tea, but tea is always there. Like, the, you know, it's always about the conversation. It's always about the, the main food. Um, tea almost seems like as an afterthought, but tea, I and mean, she's always there listening in. Um, and then, of course, I also channel tea. Um, and I, I, I ask her to be part of the various rituals and the spells that I may cast. So there's multiple layers. And I love that because she, um, she says, I guess as woven into my life as water would be, because that's that's essentially really what what she is in many ways. Like she, like I feel like my blood, most of it is probably made out of tea. But. Quick two minute break for the mid roll ad, and then we'll be right back with Mimi. If you're interested in visioning your year ahead for 2021 with me, I'm hosting my annual intuitive business and life planning workshop on September 26th. It's a day-long online workshop where we call in our guides to help us map out the next year's activities. We do trance journey work to enlist support and seek guidance. And I teach three different methods for intuitive decision-making, including pendulum charts, somatic attunement, and crafting an oracle card calendar. If you're not an entrepreneur, it's no problem. You can definitely apply this workshop to any aspect of your life. And if you can't attend all of the sessions that day, don't worry, they'll be recorded. You can watch or listen later in your own time. Cost to register is just 75 bucks Canadian, and you can do so on my website at carmenspaniola.com. This is by far my most frequently requested workshop, and it has the most repeat attenders. Like people have been coming to this workshop when I had it in person and also when I've done it online, sometimes every year. Sometimes they come every year for like five to seven years. What am I talking about? No, seven to eight years. Anyway, it's part of kind of our annual autumn rhythm of forecasting and planning to work harmoniously with the energy flows in the year ahead. So it's not about hustle here. It's about getting into a collaborative rhythm with the universe and your allies and ancestors and your personal energy levels and alignment with your gifts and purpose. And it's so fun. So September 26, 75 bucks. Check it out on the work with me page at carmenspaniola.com. C-A-R-M-E-N-S-P-A-G-N-O-L-A. So you mentioned earlier about um, ancient Chinese esoterics. I'd like to ask you a question. What do Westerners, particularly like white European folks, and perhaps um, in the like, you know, white Western culture, 
get wrong of when we think about ancient Chinese esoterics. Mm, you know, like, wow. is it more than tea leaf reading, right? It's like, obviously, right. there must be lots that when you say that word, I'm worried that what is conjured for me is a very, like, white European understanding. And I'm sure I'm misinterpreting what you mean yeah. when you say that. Right. Um, so when I use, I mean, esoterics is, is a really, like, it's a huge category and, of course, exists um, in all cultures. When I'm talking about Chinese esoterics, uh, I, I'm, for me, I'm specifically in my practice referring to uh, the understanding of the five elements, hmm. right? Um, I'm also referring to uh, the, uh, the very real energies of the seen and unseen, um, or, or let's put another way, yin and yang. Hmm. Um, I'm referring to uh, ancient Chinese um, understanding of um, of herbs and how that translates now to you know what we understand as even acupuncture and traditional Chinese herbalism. Mm -hmm. um, I'm also referring to uh, the notion of the I Ching, which is the ancient Chinese divination system. Yes, tea leaf reading can be part of there, but there are so many other things too. Um, core shamanism is actually deeply. Uh, um, Chinese in in its its sort of how it was formed um, because shamanism really became the foundation of what we understand of Taoism um, and in many ways you know Confu uh, Confucianism and Taoism um, they they are similar but different um, and in many ways that they were sort of seen as like different branches but of the same tree and so all that like really the the very fabric of Chinese culture is rooted in all these things and talking about from uh, observing the moon and having lunar festivals and still actually observing a lunar festival to this, sorry, lunar calendar to this day. Um, I think something as basic as, you know, the lunar new year um, and let's say, you know, the, the harvest moon festival, all these different festivals are deeply uh, rooted in ancient Chinese esoterics. Um, and then, uh, to answer the question of what is it uh, that maybe like the West, um, maybe white folks um, kind of have got things wrong. I'll give you a really example, uh, like a really simple example. We haven't even really talked about it yet, but this is also part of Chinese esoterics is the function of meditation. Mm -hmm. So in the West, for some reason, meditation is this thing you do to make humans more productive. <laughs> that is a function of capitalism. That was not the original intention of meditation. Um, and I mean, that's just like one example of how it's been really, um, it, it's, it's, been, it's been to a certain degree adulterated, really. Like if you think about the original intention of meditation was to help one awaken and help one experience harmony um, with their neighbor. So it's a, it's a peacemaking tool. And now it's made to make, like in the West, mm -hmm. you can download apps, you can, you can do, you know, you can- You, you can, can be super efficient right? with your meditation. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> exactly. You can be really, really efficient with your meditation. To do what? To make you faster, better, stronger? Holy fuck, like something's fucked up there. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, it's like, I feel like, a huge point has been missed. It's it's designed to give you an edge over your colleague. Like it's this like ascension moving up the ladder kind of function. Um, that was not the original point of meditation. And so so it, it's it's like the, the paradigm of capitalism and individualism has really it, it has changed how many of these, and I'm, I shouldn't say it's just for Chinese um, uh, spiritual expressions. I, I would argue it's probably for many other mm -hmm. ones from other traditions, other cultures. Uh, but yeah, that's just one example. And I mean, meditation is fairly um, uh, like kind of vanilla and it doesn't really provoke 
the woo-woo or any of that, right? Like that's a fairly accessible, you're not really going to offend anyone if you talk about meditation, <laughs> whereas maybe you might scare some people if you talk about witchcraft. Um, yeah. So just think about everything else too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thank you for correcting that misapprehension. And I love a good teardown of capitalism anytime. <laughs> that was awesome. Thank you. So what are your thoughts then on um, not only tea, but it sounds like tea could be, I, I'd love if you'd include tea specifically in, in the answer here, but how in these COVID times would you see plants or certain plants in particular as um, special allies that we might invoke um, for whatever, for, for heart soothing, for stamina or endurance? Like how are you um, relating to certain plants differently in light of global pandemic? Mm. So, I mean, you can certainly relate with plants um, on the physiological level, right? You can benefit from the consumption or, or you know, internal consumption or application, let's say topically, of plants um, that can uh, support the adrenals, that can soothe your system in general. Um, and I mean, one example would be uh, holy basil. Um, holy basil is far, far, far more relaxing and supportive of your adrenals than let's say lavender, which is, I mean, mm. most of us understand that lavender is very um, relaxing, but uh, holy basil even more so. Um, and so you can work with holy basil by uh, consuming uh, a tea, um, or if uh, you are more interested in working with uh, holy basil aromatically, you know you can certainly uh, you know work with them uh, via, let's say, an essential oil. Um, of course, with dilution um, and even with tea, uh, definitely check with your herbalist in terms of dosage. I typically use a teaspoon to um, a cup and a half of water and I'll infuse, uh, if I want sort of more so for the taste, you know, like 10 minutes is fine. But if you really want the actual potency, um, I would say about four hours of steeping and you can just reheat it if you actually want it hot. Wow. Um, so yeah, so something like that would be really great to, to lean into. But I think, you know, during lockdown where you may not necessarily have a chance to go to your local apothecary and purchase your herbs. Um, what is amazing is that these plants, you can relate with them through their spirits. Mm. So, I mean, this is why I love plant spirit healing, just because you get to understand the person of the plant without necessarily having the plant physically with you. So mm -hmm. you can, just as you would, let's say, uh, pray to a guide or to your ancestor. You could do the same with a specific plant, um, and and yeah, they they are definitely there, and they can even show up in your dreams or in a. I can't believe I'm going to say this in your meditation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's like you're really optimizing your meditation if you can like achieve enlightenment and awakening and get some advice from your guide. <laughs> yeah. No. Absolutely. And then in the context of tea, um, what I also love about tea, and, and this is you know helpful during COVID times and also outside of COVID times, is tea, we talked about these archetypes. I mean, I started off, we talked about sort of the virgin, the mother, the crone. Tea also contains this in all in one plant. And a lot of times it's based on how the tea or was planted, the conditions surrounding the tea, when she was harvested and how she was processed. So for instance, a green tea will hold virgin qualities. And let's say a poor or a dark oolong or a black tea will contain more of those crone qualities, simply because with a show pour, let's say, uh, she's already gone through this process of fermentation. So there was a death that was actually physically there for the tea to experience. So that when you actually wind up steeping the tea and drink her in, the energy is really different than a green. Mm -hmm. And if you're, even if you're not aware of this, you'll notice it just through taste. But if you are aware of it, then you can really like in a very heightened way, um, speak with her and experience her 
and receive the medicine of crone or receive the medicine of mother or receive the medicine of a virgin. And they're all great medicines. So depending on sort of where you are that day, you know, in isolation, let's say, you can lean onto these other very relatable archetypes through just a drink. Mm. Um, now, of course, when you're consuming her, um, it's best to not consume her at your desk with your laptop open and you're just sort of drinking her in. When I say, when, when I sit with tea, nothing else is on the table. It's just me and tea. Um, and that's the intention. And I mean, if you have a friend over visiting, that's what you would do. You wouldn't be responding to emails and chit-chatting with your friend at the same time if you invite them over, right? Like this is pre and post COVID times, obviously I'm referencing here, uh, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it would be considered really disrespectful. So same thing with tea. If you really are actively wanting to sit with tea, then we have to make it in an active experience rather than sort of this passive thing where you're consuming nothing more than um, water and caffeine, right? Mm. That we, I, we tend to do that as a culture though, the grab well, and go. And I also am very compelled now to follow a sort of thought train around. Well, I'm just curious, what do you think then about those of us who have um, ancestry uh, from the British Isles, where tea, particularly also like adulterated kinds of tea, Earl Grey, like things that have some aromatics added in different ways, um, have been not only part of the culture uh, in a pretty strong way, but also part of colonial culture. And so if we're reclaiming a relationship with tea as a white person, um, let's say I'm sitting down, is, are there considerations that you would advise or even just request as someone of Chinese ancestry that we actually work through as we're engaging relationship with her? Ooh, that's a big one. <laughs> that was a thick question. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, it's a super big one. Um, and yeah, I mean, tea uh, was a crop that was stolen from China. Um, and uh, I can't remember the title of the book, but there's actually a book that talks about this. Um, you'd have to We'll put it in Google, the show notes. Or I, we can put that in the show notes. I'll get it for you. Um, where it really does chronicle this how it was stolen, how um, it was shifted over to India as a venue um, to uh, really cultivate the crop. And then all these other aspects of, uh, of a British palate was added, right? So milk, mm -hmm. you don't add milk to tea in mm -hmm. East Asia. That's just not something you do. Mm -hmm. um, now over time, things have changed, right? Um, and uh, over decades and, um, and even to the point of, to the point where something has evolved so much that it's become something totally new and it's become its own tradition, let's say Earl Grey or mm -hmm. uh, an Orange Pico. These are like very, very classic, sort of a, a, a new tea so to speak. I'm not talking about blueberry rooibos, right? Like, or whatever stuff you'd find at, like, those very sort of gimmicky tea shops and, or, you know, blueberry, yogurt, rooibos, like, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not talking about those ones, but I'm talking about something like an Earl Grey that has actually developed its own convention. I think for me, the first thing is just understanding. If, if, if one is going to uh, consume anything, I think it's, it's helpful to know the history of that particular plant and the history of those traditions and knowing perhaps one's ancestors role in uh, the colonizing of something like tea. Uh, but I, I don't think at this point it's helpful to sort of have this idea of a cancel culture around consumption of uh, of a very new but also deeply steeped tradition um, and it's 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 gray area I, I don't necessarily have the answers but I think first and foremost being informed of it mm. and understanding the context um, is an important and respectful piece um, and then also knowing that uh, things are meant to be consumed in a very specific right, way right so if you were to consume let's say a traditional 
um, Chinese tea or, or even other, even let's say essentia, right? Like a Japanese green, like you don't add milk or cream or sugar um, to these and they have to be steeped at a very specific temperature. And also if you really want to talk about teaware, certain teaware is designed for certain teas, um, then I think it makes sense to be educated uh, on these and to actually use the right teaware for the right tea and so forth. Um, and it's not so much from the perspective of ego or you're now a collector of these things and to be able to flaunt it, nothing like that. It's just like, well, this was the original intention. So let's, um, let's approach it uh, in that way. Hmm. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you. That's a beautiful answer to a complicated question. So I am also just reminded that when I've um, been on your website, I don't know if you're still doing this, but you made um, signature scents for people. Is that not right? Perfumes mm. like that? Is that yeah, still something I, you do? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow. You've been on my website a while ago then because okay. um, yeah, I, I used to. Yes. Um, and uh, I, I love it. It's, it's honestly like so beautiful because I wind up essentially tuning into the person's aura of course this is like with consent this is part of sort of the uh the process of of, of making a signature scent and then i meet with their spirit allies and then we wind up sort of making the scent together and it's mm. it's a gorgeous process very intimate process um and oftentimes uh the the experience i'm provided information and i can relay it onto the client but then the most beautiful part is that the actual uh, you know, botanical fragrance winds up functioning as a form of nourishment um, and protection for their aura. So it's sort of this two-pronged, beautiful way for them to be held by plants. And no, I don't offer it anymore simply because it's so time-consuming and um, it's just, it's, it's difficult to um, to 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 be compensated at that level um and for someone to to feel that um that it's something that's affordable for them to be able to invest in so yeah i don't do that anymore i might bring it back down the road but it's not something I'm, i am offering currently but is that then something that um people would be able to learn how to do in some of your trainings and and maybe even the mentorship program that you have do you want to talk a little bit about how people could work with you um, to do to train their psychic senses mm. so the so the mystery mentorship um, program is a five module program done online um, and it's open to everyone um, well not open to racists I did state that <laughs> I, I have to say this because unfortunately, you know, there was someone that was uh, like was having some difficulty. It was, was trying to bypass a lot of things, and it would just became really apparent that I I actually am not open to all, and that's why I said that. So just, I'm open to all otherwise, but yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, the idea is when you enter into this mystery mentorship, I help you access a whole world that is not really seen anymore through categories. It's not really seen anymore through the category of core shamanism or the category of plant spirit healing or the category of chaos magic and, and all these other things. I do list it in bullets that way in the description on the website because that's how humans tend to understand things. But once you dive in and you're starting to learn, you realize that actually none of this uh, is separate from anything else. And it's really difficult to understand uh, the world through an animist's eyes if you don't understand that plants are totally alive and have personalities and you can communicate with them in your waking you know, life rather than just in your sleep where maybe people find that a bit more acceptable, like mm. being able to talk to things that are not humans, let's say. Mm. Um, and yeah, and so really, I'm kind of giving them access to the space where they can learn and where I, I am to a certain degree, not screaming at them, but I'm not providing the validation that they are hoping for. And by that, they learn to die to themselves. Um, and that death process is very important because 
what comes out of it is this the true self it's that self that is no longer existing as a function of societal programming they're now existing for themselves and they get mm -hmm. to create those rules that i talked about earlier uh, that you know if you're living by someone else's rules it really you are going to feel very very unfulfilled in life and through this process of dying they're they they come back and they're like oh my gosh like this is who i really am and they really start experiencing a very heightened sense of psychic gifts. Um, and yeah, we definitely talk about, you know, um, clarification, but we really talk about all of it. Mm -hmm. um, so many clients come in feeling doubtful. They're like, no, I don't trust my intuition or no, how can that be possible? That must be just coincidence. And they prove themselves over and over again how wrong that, that is. And it's and when I say wrong, I'm saying just that belief that you aren't magical, like that is sort of the whole issue. And so, yeah, when they get into that program, um, it's completely transformative. And I make it in such a way where if you're only wanting to experience one out of the five modules, you can. Um, of course, uh, it's if you really want that full and that very rich experience, um, all five, because they are woven together but, but yeah certainly um the air module is opening is opened right now we're going to be starting in september uh on the 13th and so if someone um that is really just led to to really wanting to study very specific things in the air module then that that's that's open um and then i also just made sure that it's as um price sensitive as possible it's it's offered through a sliding scale so people can contribute what they feel is you know realistic within their means um, and because it's online uh, we ha we always gather um, at a very specific time um, which are Sundays um, but then there's also the recordings right so the recordings is available even if they can't actually join live Hmm, that sounds really beautiful, really nice. And it's kind of ongoing enrollment, as you say, you could just like start in September, but if you're like, December's gonna be too much for me, I know that you could take a couple modules, but then you could stop? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So by the time, so we, we started uh, Earth module, which is the first module in May, mm -hmm. um, and we're currently in the practicum weeks mm -hmm. where uh, the, apprentices are do are in group practicums and they're practicing with each other and there's also a few solo uh, practices where they can just engage more private work within themselves um, and then yeah and then we'll be diving into air in September and by the time we finish all five modules it will be September 2021 mm. um, and at that point I'm not quite sure if I'll be offering it again or not but that's that's a little too far to look down the road yeah. for me yeah oh it sounds really fun but we'll make sure we put all of the information in the show notes. Where can people follow you? Well, they can find me on my website, which is shopceremony.com. Ceremony is, is spelt with an I-E at the end. Or they can uh, find me on Instagram, which is the same handle, so shopceremony. Beautiful. So having heard some of the lovely and complex nuance and layers that you brought in, like my, you know, yeah tearing down capitalism's my jam being able to ask people <laughs> about colonialism and you know food origin stories is so my jam love that so i'm very curious to hear how you answer our traditional closing question on the podcast when you look around at the world and uh you see what's going on and you are trying to live in contact with your soul path your spirit your intuition you're like doing all you can to awaken but at the same time there remains grief and rage there remains the world i'm curious how do you cope with that um i think first and foremost i just ride it and yeah there are parts of the ride where i really want to get off and i'm feeling like I'm at the mercy of the driver. Of course, the driver at this point is either the grief or the rage. I'm not really driving. Um, and so there are times where I do feel a bit out of control. Um, I think in recent months, um, I've definitely hit those feelings, those, those, those points a few times. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I, I think 
you you wind up just engaging, at least for me, um, in things that are beautiful. I find that when I lean into beauty, it just it really does soothe. And um, and when I say when I lean into beauty, like I lean into uh, things that bring a sense of joy through beauty. So that could be through something visual. It could be through music. It could be through um, through touch. Um, you know, like a really long bear hug from my partner is it it really does help um, when you're going through those those you know big big emotions. Um, and I also write. I find that a lot of times when I write. Um, things that may not be clear comes out clear um, mm -hmm. and when i look at it on the page um i'll be like wow like because it, it really isn't when i write it's not typically an intellectual exercise it's it's, it's just expression and then when i look at the page i'll be like oh well that's how i really think okay and like, <laughs> <laughs> um so it, it's like i write for myself and then sometimes that maybe i share it um let's say on the blog or on instagram um, but a lot of times what I write doesn't really make it beyond uh, me. Mm. And that's fine because um, it, it helps me, uh, like you say, cope with the, or process, maybe process is a better word for me, process the, the grief. Mm, that's beautiful. It's a beautiful sharing and reminder. Well, thank you for everything you've shared. It's been very generous and very like delightful. And um, yeah, I, I'm sad that you're not doing signature sense anymore, <laughs> but I would also like, I would totally take a course just on making your own signature scent by working with your guides. So I'm just like seeding that as okay. like a, maybe a, a more economical way for you to do it. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much for being on the show, Mimi. I really appreciate you being here. Oh, Carmen, thank you so much for having me. Hmm, isn't she so lovely? You can find out more about Mimi's online mystery mentorship in the show notes at numinouspodcast.com and also by going directly to her site, shopceremony.com. Again, that's S-H-O-P-C-E-R-E-M-O-N-I-E.com. And that's also the name of her Instagram handle too, at shopceremony. That book that Mimi recommended is called For All the Tea in China, how England Stole the World's Favorite Drink and Changed History. It was published in 2010 and authored by Sarah Rose. And so my listener thank you and shout out today is to my listeners in England. And some of you especially are dear to me. You've participated in my programs and co-healing pods. And when I think of England, I think of visiting you there someday. Someday. Those green verdant hills of England. Let's hold that vision. Perhaps 2022. Until then, you can follow me on Instagram at Carmen Spaniola and be the first to know about all my offerings by signing up for my newsletter at CarmenSpaniola.com. C-A-R-M-E-N-S-P-A-G-N-O-L-A. Until next time, take care.